You're listening to 89.7 FM Eastside Radio. This is the Ghost in the Machine program with your hosts, Gene Barrett and Rick Benitez. Good evening, Gene. Hi, good night. Tonight on the program, our guest is going to be Dr. Carol Cusack from the University of Sydney Department of Studies in Religion. And we're going to be talking with Carol about spirit. And we'll have Carol on the line in just a minute to talk with us live. Um, but we thought we'd begin with a cut. Uh, rather a bit older than the one you've just been listening to. This is from a medieval musician, music writer named Hildegard of Bingen. And this is a song called Columba Aspexit, which is Latin, I think, for uh, And a Dove Appeared.
You're listening to Eastside Radio, 89.7 FM, Ghost in the Machine program with hosts Gene Barrett and Rick Benitez. And tonight we've got Dr. Carol Cusack of the University of Sydney Department of Studies in Religion on the line. Carol, are you with us? Yes, Rick. Hi, welcome. Thanks. Um, we were just listening to a track of music that sounded very spiritual to me from Hildegard of Bingen. And it's medieval. Um, I don't know the century uh, that it comes from. The 12th. The 12th century. And I thought uh, maybe I would begin by asking you about uh, spirit in the medieval times and, and um, ideas of what spirit was. Or, uh, spirit is, comes from a Latin word, and so, so I might ask you about what people originally thought spirit was. I think one of the things about spirit is that it's a fantastic word because it can be co-opted entirely by orthodox religion, but it can also be deeply subversive. And I think if we're going to talk about the Middle Ages spiritual matters were policed, if that's the right word, by the Catholic Church, but spirituality and the Holy Spirit might touch the lives of Christians everywhere, and often they would come up with uh, experiences that were perhaps not quite what the official church was looking for. And that, that's the subversive side of it, you think? Yes. Yeah. So. Um, can you example? Well... The heretical movements of the Middle Ages often involved people who had experiences that we would now call charismatic or Pentecostal or ecstatic, which they, not surprisingly, looking at the evidence of the New Testament, connected with the activity of the Holy Spirit. So we have major heretical groups like the Brethren of the Free Spirit, as they called themselves, which um, advocated relief from the dogmatic sort of emphasis of the official church from um, meaningless ritualism, etc., etc. Yeah. This is definitely subversive, and it's not what the church were looking for. Ha having just seen uh, Samuel Beckett play last night, I know about meaningless ritual. Um, sort of taught me a little bit about that. Um, but I was thinking in what you're saying then that um, some, in some ways there's people that expressed or felt in touch with spirit in um, an unconventional sort of way, um, they maybe felt more like what we would colloquial, colloquially call spirited um, uh, or inspired. Yes, in inspiration definitely comes into it. And do you think that um, when uh, for people to feel inspired, there's a, there's a word, it's also a Latin word called animus, and we talk, speak about people being animated and having a, um, animosity and, and that sort of thing. Is that closely related to the idea of spirit too? I think so, but perhaps to discuss that we might move away from medieval Christianity and think about some other kinds of religion. Um, people have, since religion studies began being an academic discipline in the late 18th and early 19th century, searched for the very elusive beginning of all religions, perhaps it's a futile quest, but one answer that is promoted again and again as each new generation of scholars comes along is along the lines of an animistic understanding, and of course that's the same word, anima, mm -hmm. the thing that animates, the idea that when people first looked at the world and tried to make sense of it, you know, with sentience, with, with intelligence, with the ability to, to think and to theorize, they saw a world that was alive to them, not dead, not mechanical. Right. And consequently, this led to the idea of tree spirits, earth spirits, ocean spirits, the sun 
being a deity, etc. Now, a lot of um, views about spirituality that like that seem to me to um, be very naturalistic in ways. Yeah, well, in fact, it's, it's able to work within a naturalistic universe, that idea. You don't have to go beyond, you don't have to posit a supernatural. It's more about a sense of wonderment and the response of the human being to what they see around them. Right, and it is... Um I'm interested in that difference between the natural and the supernatural now because when we we started talking about um, medieval um, spirit ideas of spirit and it may be just a naive association but I tend to think of that as associated with the supernatural and now we've, we have moved a bit to talking about some maybe even older ideas of spirit but which were much more naturalistic. Can you help clarify? The I think you're completely right there. Yeah. I mean, obviously medieval Christianity was hugely focused on the idea that this world, the natural, was in some sense inferior, um, not in the platonic sense of copy, but it was a product of God's divine power and the supernatural world where you could actually experience God full on and you wouldn't be confused by all of this natural <laughs> stuff that could get in the way mm-hmm. was actually real, truly, truly real. And that's one of the reasons why the method, the, the kind of um, doctrine of salvation, you know, that you put up with what you endured in this world, you, you um, patiently endured sufferings because of the reward in heaven was so powerful. But I think we have moved on a bit not just you and I talking, but everybody's thoughts about religion nowadays are a little more complicated, and there would be a lot of people who would advocate that even if there is a supernatural, and it's increasingly difficult to posit that in philosophical terms as well as in theological terms, that there is a concept which is commonly called this worldly transcendence that people talk about now, which is all about experiencing all of those things that used to formerly be pushed into the category of the supernatural right, right here and now in your natural life. Um, could you, we've moved a little bit to thinking then about, um, I like how you brought, it up, brought us up to the present time, and um, could you say a little bit about what you think um, is generally happening, in, say, with um, academics and intellectuals about the idea of spirit now, um, and the, the ways they're studying it, the sort of things they're looking at? Well, I think that there are two probable avenues that are very productive, very powerful in the academic study of religion at the moment. One is the study of what's happened to religion after radical secularization in the West. So the way in which, to use sort of postmodern language, the Christian meta-narrative has lost power. Other mm. people have come to believe in micro-narratives or to disseminate micro-narratives. So we have multi-faith societies where people say to each other, literally over cups of coffee, oh, um, so that works for you. Well, it doesn't work for me. Or I'm a Buddhist and... And, yeah. and you're a cowdiest. How interesting. You know, how can we approach this? So that's the kind of post-secularization melting pot, but not a melting pot to produce a uniformity, one that rejoices in multiplicity and in um, variety. And in that area, mostly what they'd be talking about is that kind of naturalistic, this-worldly transcendent idea about the spirit, where people find their hopes and their happiness in this life, and many of those religious perspectives are actually actively sceptical about there being a supernatural or an afterlife existence. Mm. The other place that people work, of course, is the Christian reaction 
to this radical secularization, which is mostly in the area of Pentecostal and charismatic churches. And of course, they retain that strongly traditional idea of a supernatural world and the Holy Spirit, God's power acting in this world as the spirit that people have to get in touch with. You're listening to the Ghost in the Machine program with Jean Barrett and Rick Benitez. We're talking with Dr. Carol Cusack from the University of Sydney. We're going to go to another musical number now. Um, just spoke a little bit about fundamentalism and maybe tying that in with a bit of mystery. We're going to listen to the um, Gregorian chant from the monks of Santo Domingo de Silos. Um, and this number is the uh, Lamentation of Jeremiah the Prophet.
listening to 89.7 Eastside Radio and we're with Dr. Carol Cusack. Hi, this is Jean here. Hi, how are you, Jean? Good, thanks. So I was just um, interested by something you were saying in the last segment about um, philosophically positing or positioning ideas with re- in regards to religion. Now, I find that very interesting. Um, I study philosophy and I've always found it a bit of an anomaly with um, religious studies because um, philosophy seems to be... Um, perhaps chasing after religious experience with a microphone. It's more like the idea of um, that you have to be a little bit more rational and maybe we can't quite understand a religious experience and we have to sort of be on from the outside looking in. Do you agree with that at all? Well, I think it's interesting that you should raise that issue and probably the way you phrase it, yes, I do agree. But I think that the whole issue is just so much more complicated nowadays because Mm. when you study religion of course you're not necessarily religious and you don't necessarily have a religious experience when you have a religious experience it's very interesting how many people do have religious experiences but they they lack in some way the language or the concepts to explain to people what that experience has been all about yeah and it's worked it also seems very, very different to what you were suggesting with the idea of this um, radical secularisation where you can kind of sit down and make choices just as you make ethical and lifestyle choices about what works for you, like bits of Buddhism, bits of Hinduism or whatever won't work for you. But uh, some somebody perhaps undergoing sort of some kind of conversion or experience might be sort of prior to any kind of choice, which is a little bit more sort of daunting and mysterious, I guess. That is a fascinating suggestion, actually, and religious conversion has been one of the things I've worked for years. I wrote my doctorate on it, mm-hmm. and it's my chief interest. How is it that people come to believe certain things? Mm. And the issue, I think, with conversion and religious experience is that some people don't convert because of an experience, and I think maybe they're the people who sit down and do what you just said, mm. think about things they think... You know, Buddhism is a nice, peaceful religion, non-Western, mm. looks appealing. I know some people doing it. I might go to a meditation class, etc. Mm. But people who have radicalized religious experiences, their situation is interesting because unless it takes place in a really obvious context, like, for example, you're actually at a Christian charismatic meeting and you speak in tongues or you yeah. uh, have some kind of obviously transcendent experience somewhere, Uh, Usually you need to think about what it means and where you would position it. And I guess, you know, as long ago as the 19th century, William James, the great psychologist of of religion, collected people's accounts. If I had a religious experience or if I had something beyond a religious experience or something that was different to normal life, what did I do with it? And lots of people didn't necessarily become religious. They kind of thought, oh, that was beautiful and lovely and extraordinary and I felt different but they didn't feel the need to commit right so do you think that somehow they managed to integrate something that was strange and foreign and sort of outside of their previous experience into their lives rather than thinking okay now I have to radically change everything that that I do and sort of does that make sense yes I think so I think what you're saying is that the people who have the experience and they say well that was beautiful and that did something wonderful for me, but not necessarily am I going to become, you know, a Pentecostal Christian or whatever. Mm. They were more open to what I was saying to Rick in the first segment, the idea of wonder and that there are bigger things in the universe than things that you can put labels to and and give 
explanations mm. too, whether they're rational philosophical explanations, like yeah. the ones you were talking about, or traditional doctrinal explanations promoted by churches. Some mm-hmm. people just go with the flow more. They <laughs> have experiences and yeah. they're happy. They're they're filled with wonderment when yeah. they have the experiences, but they don't need to formalise yeah. it's them. It's a sense of awful in that old-fashioned sense of um, something that's awe-inspiring. Yes, yes, yeah. it's a wonderful idea, really. Yeah. Something we don't experience enough, I think, nowadays. Yeah, there's also an, a word that I personally like called transmogrification. It's Indeed. this idea of being transformed in a way that um, comes upon you rather than you coming to it with your sort of limited view on things. It's something that really fundamentally changes um, the way you think about things. It's like it's actually a word that has its origins, doesn't it, in alchemical discourses mm-hmm. where, um, you know, the idea of yep. base metal being transmuted, transmogrified into gold yep. or so the precious sum. quality. Yeah, so the idea of the sum being more of the part. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful concept. Yeah, it's very uh, metaphysical in a way, I guess. So, and it's very different from philosophical views, which is can be sort of very reductionist, I guess, trying yeah. to analyse and pull things apart. But I think that it's interesting. I think philosophy is better than that, though, and is, is kind mm. of nobler than that when it's when it's working at its best. Yeah. And I also think that word you use, metaphysical, it's an interesting one. Um, it implies something beyond the physical, just yeah. literally, of course, but. It does seem to me that there can be a naturalistic metaphysics as well, yeah. and I think that's one of the things about the the integration mm-hmm. of what some 60s psychologists call peak experiences. Abraham Maslow mm-hmm. used that term. Um, that means that you're able to exist naturalistically while engaging with a metaphysic, which I think is a great idea. Well, and do do you teach how to do that in your courses? I don't think so. <laughs> I wish I could. I think I would probably uh, be reaching a larger audience than undergraduates. <laughs> well, I've been one of his students, and uh, it was a wonderful experience studying religious studies. So, yeah, it was wonderful. Okay, we're, we're going to go to our last cut of the night, which is Hildegard of Bingen again with O Jerusalem. Thanks, Dr. Carol Cusack, for talking with us this evening. It's been a pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> 